Well, good morning. And that last song is central to what we proclaim here at the church. Yeah, so incredible, incredible song. Um, <clears throat> after the last uh, service, um, Selm Harper came up to me. He's, he lost $40. So if you see $40 to see that. But the reason I'm bringing it up is not to try to help him find his money because I'm not that, you know, merciful. Um, just kidding, just joking. It's, it reminded me of a story, and I tried to tell him the story, but I totally messed it up, so I'm just going to tell you, okay? Um, Sunday school class at church, they were having prayer requests. You know how all that happens if you grew up in a traditional environment. And so this guy talked about how he lost $400, and, you know, he didn't know what he was going to do because it was, you know, to pay for something, and, and he went on and on, and then they prayed for him. And after the class, another guy in the, in the classroom walked up to him and said, look, listen, I was moved, I was moved by your story of you losing $400, so what I'd like to do is that I want to give you 40 So the guy took the money and said, are you sure? And the guy said, yeah, um, Amazing thing, earlier today, God blessed me. I found $400 in the parking lot, and I just feel like I need to give that blessed all, pass that blessed all, so. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. So anyway. All right, well, we are back into the book of Leviticus. Okay, we are back in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, yeah. Who knew, right? And uh, it was like if you'd put all the books in order, that was my favorite until I started studying it like this. Um, Leviticus would have been mm, 66, 65, depending on where I was at in my Bible reading, right? But now it's like in the top five. It, it's an amazing book. And so today is what's called a cutting board. So we already had Leviticus cutting board once where I give you little stidmits of information that I wasn't able to say in a sermon, give you in a sermon, and I put them all into this particular sermon. So Leviticus cutting board is stuff I cut out of sermons previously, of the 20 sermons that we've had in Leviticus previously. Um, these are just little snidbits. So it doesn't give you all the information but it gives you enough to bring the point across, okay? So that's, that, that's what we're doing today. So if you feel like it's disjointed today, it really is. I mean, it, it's, it is a disjointed sort of, sort of deal. However, I will say that there's a theme that does run through this one. Um, and it was, I didn't see it until I'd put it all together, right? So this is Leviticus cutting board. So to begin, <clears throat> does anybody know the first book that was ever written in the Bible. Job. That's exactly right. Job is the first book that was written in the Bible, and then it was the Pentateuch. Um, do you know the last book that was written in the Old Testament? That book is Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is the last book that's written in the Old Testament. And I know the order of your Bible is not that way, but that's, you know, historically how they were written. In the New Testament, the first book that was written in the New Testament is the book of James. So James comes before the Gospels. And James actually comes at a moment in history that's referred to in Acts where the church is arguing about if we should give the Gospel to Gentiles or not. 
So while they're having that argument in Acts, James was written, and it was written actually to address that, that little conflict that they were having. So just a little tidbit. And then, of course, everybody knows the last book that was written in Scripture, Revelation. Right. So we have that right in our Bible in order, like historical order. So, so that is that. So back to Job and then these next five books called the Pentateuch that Moses wrote. Pentateuch is five and Moses wrote five books. One is Genesis and Genesis starts from the world and the nations and everybody and it gets down to Abraham and his descendants. And then we have Exodus which talks about a national conflict between uh, the Jews and the nation of Egypt. And then we get to Leviticus, which is really about priesthood. So it's really kind of focus in. And then it, and it goes on to Numbers, which is counting the people, and then Deuteronomy right before they go into the land. So here's the Pentateuch. And right smack dab in the middle, in the middle of the Pentateuch is this book called Leviticus which is central to the whole uh, Pentateuch literature because the Pentateuch is really about the law. Now, right in the middle of the book of Leviticus is Leviticus chapter 16, which talks about the Day of Atonement because in the middle of all of the biblical writings is this thing, this idea that humans need to be redeemed. And humans need to be reconnected with God, and it's God's way of connecting himself with you and you with him. So right in the middle is Leviticus 16. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Leviticus 16. Leviticus chapter 16. That's really loud, isn't it? If I want to get your attention, I'm just going to do that. Okay. Leviticus chapter 16. <clears throat> And we will begin reading with verse 15. So, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15. And um, this is what it says. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, 15 and 16. Here we go. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering... That is for the people to bring its blood inside the veil. Now, that's the veil of the tabernacle. And do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So they're sprinkling this blood. So why are they sprinkling this blood? In verse 16, it says, Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place. Well, why do you have to make atonement for the holy place? I thought it was holy. Well, here's why. Because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do it for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Now, this means that there's people outside that are sinning and their sin is affecting their environment, including the environment where they worship. I'll put it to you this way. Sin violates space and environments. It violates space and environments. So if people are sinning outside, not only are they, um, they are, uh, messing up their own 
environment. They are, what's the word? It's not purified, the opposite of that. It's um, polluting their environment. They're polluting it, and their pollution is going into the tabernacle. So on the Day of Atonement, the tabernacle has to be cleansed and made holy again, and the holiness has to go out to the people. So they're cleansing the environment because sin is not just about what you do wrong. It's also about the effect of the environment. This is not a new idea. Adam and Eve sinned, and it affected the entire world, and that's why we're where we are. So sin affects environments. You also knows, know this to be true. You know this to be true. You have, or may have, or may know of things that go on in people's houses that is polluting their house's environment. It happens all the time. In fact, you may have had this happen before. <clears throat> one of the spouses, there's only two people married here, but one of the two does a sin that's private, okay? And the other spouse, for some reason, is angry, bad mood, has nothing to connect with this sin over here, seemingly, but for some reason, they're in a bad mood and, and things aren't going well and it, it's just not doing right. Well, the reason this is happening is because of this private sin over here that changed the environment and the people over here that's affected by it don't know why they're upset. They don't know why they feel something's wrong, but they're responding to the fact that they feel that something just isn't right in the house. Now, out of everybody in here, ladies have been in this position. Come on, guys right, gals, right? You know something's wrong. You can't put your finger on it. Well, chances are somebody has done some type of secret sin over here, and it's infected the environment, and you just can't put your finger on it. Interesting, isn't it? So sin violates space and environments. Listen, in a more public manner, you know that if someone in your home has a drinking problem, it affects your environment. If someone in your home has an addiction to legal or illegal drugs. It happens both areas. It affects the environment. You know it affects the environment. So this says that we need to make our spaces in our homes holy. So if there is a problem with alcohol, you pour it down the sink. You take it, you pour it down the sink, you get it out of your house. If you have a problem with drugs, you take those and flush them down the toilet. If you have a problem with your internet, you set your settings to PG or G. That's what you do. Because when you're looking, you're opening up and you're, you're polluting the environment around you. It is not just you. Your sin affects other people. It affects other people. It pollutes the area. And so, once a year, they made the tabernacle holy because the people's sins in the camp was polluting that holy environment. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? So it's a challenge for you and I to get things out of our home that aren't holy, don't let them stay there. Push them out 
and set our home aside to be a place where we exhibit God's holiness. So sin violates space and environments. We're going on to the second one, okay? Number two, this has to do with cherubim, cherubim. Now, you may or may not know that on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies is cherubim. They, we have pictures of their wings touching. They're quite the creatures. And in fact, you can read about them in more detail in Ezekiel. But be careful because Ezekiel can blow your mind. If you think Leviticus is hard to understand, first couple of chapters of Ezekiel is that's something. But it's fun to read, though, the pictures and stuff. So here are these cherubim. Now, cherubim in Scripture hold up the throne of God. So the Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. That's where God resided. In heaven, in Ezekiel, it is cherubim that are holding up the throne of God. And so on the curtain, on the veil that was between the priest and the Ark of the Covenant, the priest and the Holy of Holies, were pictures of cherubim. And those pictures were a reminder that they were about to enter into the throne room of God and they need to take it seriously. The cherub being there was saying, hey, something's going on here. There's a throne being held up by these people, by these angels, and we need to be careful as we go forward. Okay, so cut number three. Here we go. Why do we not have priests like they had priests in the Old Testament? Ever thought about that? Why don't we have priests? For instance, there's a whole religious system, actually several religious systems, that are based off of having a priest. And so what happens, especially in the Christian one, the Christian one that we have, is that a person will come and sit in a booth and with a little, you know, curtain, tell a priest on the other side their sins. And then that priest is supposed to take those sins and offer them to somebody. It's not just God. It's who would be best to represent them in heaven to Jesus. And so that's it. Now, a couple of things about this. First, priest in scripture, of course, means mediator. But if you dig a little deeper, it also means bridge builder. Okay? So when these people do this, they come and they, they, they tell their sins to the priest, and he's the bridge builder to get them to God. Now, let me tell you, I am so glad that you did not come to me and tell me all your sins. Okay, And I'm not saying I don't want to help you with some of them. If there's some that you can't get through, I can help you with those. I do not mind doing that, so don't take it that way. But there's a lot of you people, and, and I just don't need to hear everything that you're doing. I, I just don't need to hear that. But Philip, you sit in a booth, and there's a curtain, and there's privacy. Oh, no. Listen, I know your voice. <laughs> right? You're sitting over there now, oh, that's Nathan, oh, that's Seth, oh, that's Heather. Ooh, Heather's doing what? But, you know, writing it down, you know. TikTok, hey, guys, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, just glad that that doesn't happen. Well, in, in the Old Testament, there were bridge builders. They were assigned to build a bridge from this side of things to God. And so they had all these systems to build this bridge, to, to try to build a bridge. And so you would bring your sacrifice in, you would get covered with your sin, and they would approach God with that sacrifice. The problem 
according to Hebrews with this system, is that it wasn't adequate to build a bridge all the way to God. It just wasn't adequate. And so the bridge, the bridge was unfinished. It was just unfinished. Um, I'm not recommending this movie, but have you ever seen, obviously I've watched it, but I'm not recommending it. Um, have you ever seen Back to the Future? Back to the Future. The third part where they're in the Old West and they have to do a train and the bridge is incomplete. Well, that's the picture that you need to have of, of this priesthood. The bridge was not complete. Now, what we know from Hebrews is that we have a high, not in the sense of drugs, but higher, we have a high bridge builder. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. And he didn't build a bridge from this side of things. He built a bridge from God's side and it made it all the way across to us. So the reason that we don't have bridge builders is because we have a high priest. And because of his sacrifice, you are a priest and I am a priest. You're a priest. See, in Leviticus, there, were, there was just one tribe that were priests. Everybody else was just everybody else. But in the New Testament, with God and with Jesus and the sacrifice, you are a priest and I am a priest. Therefore, you no longer need priest. You need pastors. And my job is to take the people that are priests and push them toward the bridge. So if they start running off this way, I go try to get them to the best of my ability. And sometimes I feel like I'm just so weak at this, but I try and get them to push back toward the bridge that Jesus Christ made for them to have a relationship with God. And so I pastor, I pastor priest. I push the priest where they need to go. I'm also a believer priest as well. So does that make sense? So we don't need priests. We need people pushing. And to be honest with you, um, I would rather be guiding people to the bridge and the high priest than sitting in a booth. One, I'm not sure I could take it. You'd probably be talking and then I would go somewhere else in my mind. It's probably... Oh, come on. You're in a booth. You're not looking at somebody, right? In fact, I've thought about this. If, if I could ever make like a, a funny video, I would have the person over here confessing all kinds of sin, and I'd just be in the booth on my phone saying, oh, you're forgiven. Just every now and then. That's all you have to do. Think about that. Okay. All right. So that's it. On to Leviticus chapter 19. So turn to Leviticus chapter 19. And this is the next cut, Leviticus 19. And we'll begin reading with verse 31. And this is what it says. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean, keyword unclean, by them. I am the Lord your God. By the way, I am the Lord your God is um, in these two chapters of scriptures, 19 times between chapter 19 and chapter 20. So he's trying to get our attention. The second thing you need to know about this is Leviticus has more in it directly from God and what he said than any other book in the Bible. 90% of the things that you read in Leviticus came directly from the mouth of God. 
I'm not saying that inspiration, there is a scripture, isn't God's inspiration. That's not what I'm saying, because it is, okay? But what I'm saying is, God said it, someone recorded it, we have it. That, that's what I'm saying. Pretty remarkable. So verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, just ephod, and just hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statues and all my rules and do them, I am the Lord. The key phrase I want you to home in on is that you shall love him as yourself. Who else has said that? Jesus Christ. You love other people as you love yourself. And this part of Leviticus tells you how to do it. If there's a stranger, you love them, you treat them correctly, you, you don't treat them wrongly. And then it continues to say, when you sell a car to someone, you're honest about what's wrong with it before that person buys it. Yeah, it's what you do. If you have something in your home that you're selling, it's a computer and you're selling it to someone else, you're honest with your troubles with it as you're selling it. I know it hinders people buying your stuff at the price you want for it. Have you ever noticed that people really think they have something that's really worth a lot and nobody else thinks it's worth that much money? Have you ever noticed that? eBay, you know, you're like, what? This is not worth that. This is crazy. This is just crazy. Well, this is telling you to make sure that when you sell something to someone, you do it in an honest fashion. You love them like you would love yourself because you wouldn't want to buy something that had something wrong with it no more than they want to buy something that is wrong with it and they don't know about it. So love your neighbor as yourself. And actually, in 2023, we're actually going to come back to this particular passage of scripture, but that is not until then. Next, Exodus and Leviticus. We're going to do kind of a, a parallel, kind of show the differences, and here's the first one. Exodus is about a divine tent and your tent, okay? In the middle of that book, they build the tabernacle, okay? And then they talk about all the other people's tents being around that particular tabernacle. So it's about a divine tent and your tent. And then Leviticus is about what goes on in God's tent and what should go on in your tent. So the first part of the book is about what goes on in God's tent. Because all these people are living around this one central thing, this one central tent, and they know God's there, and they're like, what's going on in there? What, what are they doing? What are they doing? And so God is telling them, this is what's going on in God's tent. And because this is going on in God's tent, this is what should go on in your tent. And God has the right to tell you what you should be doing in your home. Right? He has the right to do that. So what goes in God's tent and what should go 
own and yours. Here's the next one. Exodus is about deliverance. Leviticus is about dedication. So Exodus is about, you know, children of Israel being delivered from slavery. And then you get to Leviticus and you have a priesthood that's dedicated to God and a people that is dedicated to God. Um, This is parallel to me being delivered from the slavery of sin, right? And then dedicated to be one of God's servants. That's what it parallels. So deliverance and dedication. And then finally, Exodus is about deliverance again. But Leviticus is about how people say thank you. So the first three offerings in Leviticus isn't for sin, it's for celebration and saying thanks to God. Look, they were supposed to say thank you for delivering us from the slavery in Egypt. And they had a system to do that. How do I, how do I offer God, who has everything, something that he would accept as a thank you from me? Well, God says, hey, I'll, I'll give you my Christmas list. And he tells you exactly what to do in order to give him thanks. Today in church, it's, it's a little different. We don't... We don't bring a lamb into the building for me to kill it. So if you're not thankful for anything else, please be thankful for that. Okay? We do have somewhat red carpet. But if I was here and went, it'd go, and you would no longer worry about preacher spit. Wouldn't be a concept. Nobody would sit on the front rows just like it is now. Everybody would be in the back. Maybe that's how Baptists started. I don't know. I don't know. Back row Baptists, you've heard of those people right in the back. Yeah, back row Baptists. But nonetheless, we don't do that. So that's something to be thankful for. Today, we are thankful that, first of all, we don't have to bring animals to church. We come to this building to worship together to say, thank you, Lord, for making it simpler. Thank you, Lord for your high priest dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. So songs like we sung at the very end of our worship set today is is songs that really should stir your heart and be something that you're like, yeah, that's it. That is amazing. That is what it's all about. And so it's how we say thank you. So in the New Testament, we say thank you, um, you know, by worshiping. But we also say thank you by service. See, we were delivered from sin Not just because we needed to be delivered from sin. We were delivered from sin so that we could serve God. Romans is very clear that we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable act of worship and service. So we serve God to say thank you as well. And that brings us to the last point. Now, don't get too excited because this one's longer (laughs) Then the other ones, okay? This is longer than the other ones. Are you ready? Ready? Here we go. Leviticus talks about a couple of words, okay? First one is holy. You know what? I did that wrong in the first service, and then I thought about it, so I wouldn't do it wrong. So I'm going to correct it. (laughs) 
And now that's less holy. <laughs> this is holy. Maybe I can make it fatter. Look at that. Holy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Holy. So it's holy. And then in Leviticus, there's a couple other words. And this box is not big enough, but we're going to write them in there anyway. Okay? So it is common. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. Clean. So common and clean. So you have holiness as a category, and then you have common and clean, and then over here is unclean. Okay? So holy, common and clean, and unclean. These are, this is the way that Leviticus is set up. Now, we do something similar, but not quite as pure. What you and I do is we say right, gray area, and wrong, okay? And over time, the gray area grows. Have you ever noticed that in culture? Like, even in the church, it just gets bigger and bigger, right? So we have right, gray area, and wrong. But you know what? We only do the right gray area and wrong when it pertains to what we are doing. Because when it's someone else, they are either good or bad. We never tell them, well, you know, they're gray. No, we don't do that. That's a gray person. We never say that's a gray person. That's a medium person. If we do that, we're saying they're not really fat, but they're not skinny. has nothing to do with morality. We either say good or bad, and this is a contradiction. Why do we say this is good and this is bad and have a gray area for ourselves? Because we are trying to rationalize sin. So gray areas, I don't know. So that's what we do. Well, the Bible doesn't do that. In fact... The Bible says there is none good, no, not one. So everybody isn't good. And then the Bible says, but, yeah, okay, there's holy, <clears throat> there's common and clean, and there's unclean. Now in Leviticus, sorry, had a moment. Leviticus, um, there are holy things, and holy things can become unclean very quickly. See, a holy thing can be polluted. A holy thing can be taken and used for the wrong purposes. And in Scripture, holy things are often used for the wrong purposes, and people sin, and it bumps them down to unclean. It is at this moment in Leviticus that there is a road that is mapped to go back in this direction. You can actually take the unclean thing and make it common and clean. And then you can take the, unclean, the thing that was unclean, that is now common and clean, and you can take that thing and make it holy once again. 
And so there is a pathway here, but you can make the holy thing unclean. And in fact, you can take the common and unclean and go to unclean. So you can live here and then live here and then live back here and then back here and go back and forth. So does everybody get that? Now, this is so, so important. Okay? You and I are saved. It means at the point of salvation, Jesus Christ took us out of our sinfulness, out of an uncleanness, and set us apart and made us holy. Totally clean. Set us apart and made us holy. The problem is you and I decided to sin. So what we did was we went from a holy state, we didn't lose our position of holiness, but our our sanctification was bothered by it. Are you tracking? And so we were then made unclean. Well, we don't have priests anymore. That's okay, because according to 1 John, we can say, I confess my sins. Please forgive me of those sins, and Jesus Christ will forgive us from all unrighteousness. And it's at that point that we become common and clean. A lot of people, a lot of Christians are holy. They sin They go to the unclean area, they ask forgiveness of their sins, and they just camp out out right here in the common and clean and never get back to holy living. So we do something wrong, we ask forgiveness. We go back to common and clean. We ask forgiveness, we go back to common and clean. We never get back to holy because holy is another step. Holy is saying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Please, please. Take my life once again and set me apart for your purposes. Make me different than the common and clean. Make me like you. This is a step we often do not take with God. You see, there's a lot of people in the world that are good. There are a lot of people, I know what the Bible says, there are a lot of people from our viewpoint that we look at and say, you know what, they're good, but they're just not saved. Well, they're not holy. They're just common and good. And the reason that Christians are so comfortable living in the common and clean is because it's here that we fit in with everybody else. We become common just like everybody else. And so when we sin, oh, Ask forgiveness, we go back to common and clean. We're still saved, but we're just not the difference that holy brings into someone's life. Is everybody tracking with me? And we camp out right here because this is comfortable. This is where we keep our friends. This is where, you know, we're not different. The problem with that is the world outside is trying their best to be different. Every step they take in every arena is to stand out in some way. There are some people that do things in order to become a minority because they can't become a minority unless they do those things. There are some people that are looking for ways to stand out and so they make videos that are shocking to people and that's why people watch them. They're shocking. I can't believe they did that. It's not clean stuff, are you tracking? But they're different at that point that they made this video and it just stands out and they're different and they, 
They just want to be different because in all people, there is a desire to be different than the way you actually are, which is lost in sin. Meanwhile, Christians are just fitting in. Common, clean, common, clean. And they don't stand out when Christians have what the world is looking for The world is looking for something different, something that stands out, something that is holy. The people in your house are looking for something different than what they get out there. They're looking for something holy. They are doing a ton of stuff to stand out and be different, but really this is what they're looking for. They're looking for something holy because in holiness, there is completeness. And the reason that people are looking to be different is because they do not feel complete and they're following all these avenues to try to figure out how can I be different when all the while it's just simple. Accept Jesus, get forgiveness of sin and tell him, set me apart for your service, your work in this world. And I believe and I know this to be true. A lot of Christians are just content living right here. Are they good? Yeah, they're good. Are they making a difference? No. Because they're not standing out as God's vessels in this world. One of the main reasons your house needs to be holy is because out there, there isn't anything holy. And you need a base of holiness. You need a base to say, we don't watch that, we don't do that, we, we abide by the will of God, we have prayed to set our house apart, we've prayed to set ourselves apart, and we're gonna be holy within these walls so that when we leave, we are holy people in an unholy world leading people to Jesus by the bridge that he built for us 2,000 years ago. I am not supposed to be the only shepherd. You are also to shepherd people that are lost toward the bridge so that they can receive Jesus and become priests themselves. You can only do that if you're different. If you're different. Good people looking at good Christians have no motivation to change. They think that the good Christians are just checking off a box like going to a football game or going to Walmart, to the grocery store, or voting a certain way that you both believe in. They just believe that it's the same. So why church? It didn't really make that much of a difference. But people that really take the time to say, I'm sorry for my sins. Now, Lord, set me apart to be a light for you in this world, to be sought for you in this world. That is the moment that you're different. And these common people look at you and say, you know, I'm good, but there's something better about these people. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something better about them, and it draws people to Christ. I will also tell you this, it also repels people. (laughs) Right? Right? It irritates people on the inside. And you're going to have both. I'm willing to take the risk. 
I'm willing to take the risk for the people that would be drawn to Jesus because I was set apart and made holy for him. The people that reject, we're just going to reject anyway. But that doesn't give me a reason to fit in and just be common. It gives me more of a reason to live a life of holiness before everybody that I live in front of. Start in your home, start in your life, start in your church, and then live it